Welcome to Amici, news and insights from the New York courts. I'm John Carr. In this Veterans Day Diversity Dialogue program, we're pleased to welcome Ron Palzak, the district executive for the 7th Judicial District, which includes eight counties, largely in the Finger Lakes. The district includes Cayuga, Livingston, Monroe, Ontario, Seneca, Steuben, Wayne, and Yates counties. Ron is a career court system administrator. He began as a court assistant in Rochester City Court in 1988, just a few years after earning his bachelor's degree in political science from Niagara University and while attending graduate school at SUNY Brockport. He then went on to work in Monroe County Family Court for 17 years, starting in 1992. He was appointed 7th Judicial District Executive in 2000. Ron is also an active member of the Richard C. Fela LGBTQ Commission. Ron is a decorated veteran of the U.S. Army who served in the armed forces during Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Ron and his unit planned civil military operations and were briefly responsible for dealing with refugees and prisoners of war. First Lieutenant Paul Zach was awarded several medals for his military service. Ron, thanks for coming on the program. Let's start at the beginning, if we could. Where are you from? I'm from North Tonawanda, New York. I was uh, born and raised in Niagara or actually born in Niagara Falls, but actually uh, raised in North Tonawanda for uh, my uh, uh, early uh, life. Moved to Rochester in 1988. I know the area well. I grew up in North Buffalo. Very good. Now, who were your uh, early role models? Well, by role models, actually, I, I, there, I, I guess I would say there were role models that were um, political um, and, uh, I guess, television role models. Uh, it's kind of cliche, but John Wayne was uh, my uh, kind of television role model in the day. I loved uh, the Westerns and the war movies. Uh, I uh, also uh, was uh, a big fan of uh, people like John F. Kennedy and actually uh, Martin Luther King, believe it or not. And... Um, so to me, um, those people were inspirational, and they were about service above self, which is something I've always uh, tried to do in my career, which is why I've gravitated to government, as well as uh, even in my Rochester Rotary uh, organization, Rotary's mantra is uh, service above self, and that's something that I've always uh, tried to live to. Uh, so you were kind of inspired by uh, King and Kennedy. So are they somewhat responsible for bringing you into the courts? Well, actually, uh, it, it's probably more local. Uh, I, uh, at the time, uh, after graduating from Niagara University, I became a, a police officer in North Tonawanda. Um, but around that same time, uh, a chief clerk from the uh, Niagara County Family Court at the time uh, was a friend of the family and suggested that I consider working for the New York State Unified Court System. Uh, so I had taken a civil service test for that. At the same time, I had taken one for law enforcement. Um, there was a delay in the processing of the test uh, for the court system. Uh, so I went on to be a police officer for a little over a year in North Tonawanda. Um, at that time, we actually worked trick shifts where we do 7 to 3, 3 to 11, 11 to 7. And I thought to myself, there's not any way I'm going to get a master's degree uh, while working this schedule, and it was uh, kind of uh, challenging, and so then the uh, results posted for the uh, court system, and it was uh, about a $5,000 pay increase in straight days, so I migrated very quickly over to the courts, and a uh, decision that I have never regretted uh, to this day. Well, a good move for you and a good move for the court system. 
Now, uh, early in your career, when you, you were in the, in the family court, you designed and implemented the Monroe County Family Court Domestic Violence Intervention Court. What is it, and why did you help create it? Well, regrettably, in those days, uh, in the, uh, actually in the 90s, um, we were, uh, judges were averaging about 3,000 cases uh, per judge. Um, victims would be required to pretty much pack a lunch and spend a day. Um, and uh, it was not, um, we weren't really focused on victim safety or offender accountability. Um, having been a former police officer and had a number of um, domestic violence situations, um, I knew that we uh, needed to do something better. Um, and at the same time, we wanted to create something that would raise the or level the playing field for the victim because there's often a power imbalance and uh, at the same time respect the court's neutrality. So we kind of did this in collaboration uh, with some of our community partners uh, and tried to create a, a user-friendly process for victims to go through, um, focused on victim safety and offender accountability. Um, fortunately for uh, Monroe County, the Monroe County Probation Department prepares petitions. It's not a requirement, but it's a option that the, the probation partner has always done. And we're very grateful for that. Um, and so the victim would come in, they'd uh, apply for their petition. If it gave rise to a family offense, so they'd be granted order of protection. We created a separate waiting area for uh, victims of domestic violence in the court space, as well as providing for legal services for them as well. Uh, and so that partnership was really designed to kind of try to level the playing field for victims at the same time respecting the court's neutrality and focus solely on victim offender, uh, uh, victim safety and offender accountability. Now this would have been probably in the early 90s, right? 1998, actually. So, so late 90s, but, but, but still kind of a trailblazing thing to do then. I think it's maybe become more common, but I don't, I don't know how common it was back then. It was not common at all. As a matter of fact, uh, we had to actually go all the way up to Judge Kay to get permission to allow us to... Uh, create a separate domestic violence uh, victims waiting area uh, for them in the court space. Uh, it took her intervention to uh, uh, get us to be able to uh, create that space, that safe space. I would imagine that Chief Judge uh, Judith Kay would have been very receptive to something like that. She was. She, uh, she really was a, a very progressive thinker, and, uh, and she's very missed by all of us who uh, worked with her uh, in respect to drug courts and problem-solving courts. Now, how did you ultimately land the, the top job, the district district executive job, and, and, and a corollary? Well, why did you want that job? Well, some days I ask myself that question. Uh, in, in, uh, is when I started uh, with this position, I uh, ended up having my first official act, I think, was laying off 17 people. We went into a financial crisis, and now we've been through two financial crises and a COVID pandemic, so uh, there are days that's very challenging. But um, I was at the position in my career where I thought I could uh, try to um, create uh, some change in the organization uh, here and uh, be able to try to um, ensure that uh, we had efficient and effective court operations uh, throughout all the courts. I, uh, I thought that uh, we had made a lot of progress in uh, Monroe County Family Court, where I uh, spent uh, a good part of my career and wanted to try to uh, do the same thing throughout the seven judicial districts. Now, your district is, is certainly geographically diverse. You have one 
fairly uh, good-sized city, Rochester, a bunch of smaller cities, some of the most beautiful, serene, and pristine remote areas of the state in the Finger Lakes. What are the challenges of administering such a, a geographically diverse district? Well, as you may uh, surmise, uh, distance, uh, geographical distance is a challenge, especially when you're uh, trying to cover uh, the vacancies uh, for people. Um, we have uh, a number of historical uh, buildings which create their own challenges because they were not designed for the, um, the, either the level of uh, population going through the courthouses or staffing and or the technology that's used. Uh, some of their construction makes it very challenging. Um, we have uh, variations between rural and urban, um, affluent and poverty. Uh, in through some of these areas, and so that presents a number of challenges of who comes through the doors and how we can effectively address these issues, whether it deals with legal representation or substance abuse issues. Um, so there's a number of challenges that, uh, that come from having a geographically dispersed uh, district. Um, but as you point out, I think correctly, uh, it's a very, it's beautiful. Uh, people are beautiful here. The, uh, the Finger Lakes region, uh, very uh, um, a high level of tourism due to the wine industry and, uh, and, and breweries and things like that. So it's become quite the tourist area in some of these areas and that. And uh, it's just a lovely district to be the district executive of. It is a lovely area. What are the challenges in a district like that of recruiting a diverse workforce? So creating diversity in the unified court system, the number one challenge that I see is uh, civil service. Uh, we are obligated to follow the civil service laws, and so you have to choose within the top three. Um, and it really is about recruiting and advertising in, um, you know, uh, communities of color in particular, uh, and to be able to get them to take the test. Um, and then, of course, they have to pass the test. And so that's one of the challenges, because the vast majority of our challenges are competitive titles. Um, Non-competitive, um, you know, we still want to try to attract um, uh, diverse populations in our non-competitive titles. Um, and sometimes the, I think the rural nature precludes some people from wanting to locate in those areas. Um, the urban areas is a little bit easier. Um, but I think there's just challenges in getting the word out and, and getting people to um, have the opportunities uh, within our system to uh, be able to um, come work for the, the court system. I would imagine, I mean, there, there's a fairly large black population in Rochester, but I don't know that there's a, a large black population in Naples. Correct, and, and um, you know, that, that is one of the challenges. Um, but again, you know, with civil service in, particularly, uh, in particular, you have to get people to um, know about the test, take the test, pass the test in order to, to bring them on board. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, I think I mentioned that when I found out about the court system through somebody uh, in the court system, and of course, you know, I'm white, they're white, um, so that word of mouth structure uh, tends to travel among people who are more predominantly white uh, than people of color. And so that we, I think we have an obligation to advertise and to get the word out when we're doing civil service testing. I also strongly believe we need to do civil service testing more frequently if we're going to maintain this system. We have to offer that opportunities more often, 
more frequently, and we have to advertise uh, so that people get the message that we are uh, an employer who values diversity, um, whose mission is focused around being diverse, and uh, who um, provides good salaries and good benefits to our employees and uh, is a good place to work. Now, sticking with the diversity theme, I believe you're also a, a member of, of the Fellow Commission, are, are you not? Correct, correct. And uh, w- why did you get involved in that? Well, I actually, um, I, being gay uh, in the unified court system, for me, um, has been a very liberating experience. It didn't start out that way. Um, you know, I lived a, what I'll call a double lifestyle for the better part of my 20s and 30s. Um, it was not until SONDA, the Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act, came out that I was uh, more open about my sexuality. Um, I, um, it was very liberating to come out and to be openly gay in the system. And to have the Phallic Commission, which is one of the, as far as I know, the only statewide uh, commission of its sort in the courts uh, throughout the country and probably the world, uh, it was an honor and a privilege to be able to serve on the Failure Commission and can continue to serve on that commission as it tries to ensure um, that LGBTQ plus uh, folks are um, uh, protected and valued in our system and that our policies are uh, ensure that there is no systemic discrimination against folks um, who are LGBTQ. When did you first come out, and what was the reaction of your family? I had first come out to my mother when I was 23. She didn't wow. deal with it very well. And uh, she said to me one day, you know, I watched this show with Mary Tyler Moore, and, and it was about this young man who was gay, and he kept it from his parents. And, hmm. you know, if you if you were gay, I'd, I'd want to know, you know, I'd want to know about <laughs> it. Yeah. And so she goes, let me ask you, are you gay? And so I said, yes. And she got up and she fell to the ground and she started convulsing. Like, where did I go wrong? How did I fail? Blah, 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 blah. But being a German and a Taurus, uh, that lasted about 45 minutes. And she got up and she said, listen, don't tell your father and don't let any of your relatives know. And so Mm -hmm. at that point in time, you know, that also shaped like, okay, if I'm a comfortable distance away, I don't really have to get into this type thing. And ironically... She was. She kept it to my, from my father for about ten years. Although I lived with a man, we owned a house, we had a car together. So I'm not sure how my father kind of missed those clues, or maybe he just chose to. But um, you know, he called me up one Sunday morning, and it was unusual, as all fathers do, for them to actually dial the phone and call you mm-hmm. without uh, the mother first. And uh, he said, uh, "Your mother tells me you're gay," and my heart stopped. And he said, "You know." All you need to know is I love you, and that's all that matters. And after that, I said to my parents, I I sat them down, and I said, listen, I've been lying to you for years. I've been living a double standard, Um, and consequently, moving forward, you may not like what you're going to hear, but you're going to hear it, and we're going to have a very open and honest relationship. And I cannot tell you how um, absolutely beautiful and loving and wonderful the subsequent years were um, when I didn't have to hide that. Unfortunately, at work, I hid it for a while, um, although not very well, I would say. But I was in the military, and, you know, you couldn't be gay. Um, and so I had to keep that sheltered. I probably would have stayed in uh, if you could have, if, if I knew that I would be okay to be gay. Never have envisioned that I could be out 
that I could be gay, that I could marry the person I love, and that I could actually serve in the military. The only missing link to me is my faith. Um, and who knows, maybe one day the church will take a different position on things. But, uh, you know, it really, we really hear, at least in New York State, because it's not this way everywhere, um, for the moment, um, are, you know, it's, it's been a very wonderful um, experience. And working for the court system that has that had really pretty much ostensibly had sexual orientation and for, protected well before even Sonda had come about. So, um, so it's been good. That, that, that is a beautiful story. Okay. Now let's turn to your military service, if we could. What, what inspired you to join the Army in the first place? I come from a long family of military um, members. My father was in the Army. My uncles were in the uh, Marine Corps and Air Force. My brother was a Marine. Um, I uh, have always felt like serving in the military was um, both an honor and a privilege, but it was also something that, as a member of our society, we had an obligation to do, uh, especially to ensure um, that our country remains free uh, and democratic. What sort of things did you see in Iraq and Kuwait and, and Panama and the other areas that uh, where you were stationed that, that people should be aware of? I think one value we can't lose sight of is the fact that um, I think most people want their families and children to do better than they are, that most people really just are focused on day-to-day survival, if you will, regardless of what religion, political views they are. Um, it's governments that shape um, some of the more hostile situations that we go into. Um, if you take the case of uh, Panama and Iraq, both were dictatorial regimes who suppressed um, uh, their um, segments of their population at times. Um, and so I, I think, you know, we, I think it helps to always realize how human people are and how we need to always stay focused on the good in people. Um, at the same time, you know, I think with military activities, uh, you have to, you know, one of the roles of civil affairs is to ensure that, the, you know, we are, um, we, commanders uh, focus on the moral and legal responsibilities of their command. And um, I think it's interesting when you're in combat situations to see how people can maybe forget about that uh, the human and legal side of their responsibilities. So I think from my perspective, being in the civil affairs arena, um, being able to um, ensure that commanders stay focused on, uh, you know, the, protecting the civilian populations is a very important role. And then also when you are, um, if you will, replacing governments or reinventing governments, uh, as we did in the case of Panama, um, trying to make sure that um, these uh, regimes meet their needs uh, uh, to the public that they serve and also try to create democratic institutions who respect the rule of law. Well, in the court system, we're not, I hope, dealing with dictatorial uh, powers. No. But, 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 it, but it sounds like a lot of what you learned and saw in the military is applicable to what you do as district executive. Is that, is that true? I would say yes. I mean, first of all, the military provides an excellent leadership platform for people. I, I highly encourage military service. I think it has one of the best um, professional growth and development uh, um, procedures, if you will, or policies in place to grow people and to grow leaders. Um, I think uh, 
when you can work in combat situations and or in peacetime situations and you lead uh, uh, soldiers, I think that's a good training for any kind of leadership position you may be in. Um, I see in the court system, you know, our mission of, um, you know, timely and effective justice as well as doing it in a, in respecting the diversity, inclusion of everybody, I think uh, is um, applicable here as well as it, it was in, in the military, as well as applying it into other governments and so forth, you know, respecting human rights. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think there's some um, interplay, if you will, from what I do here as well as into the military. Hmm. Now that seems to be a good place to stop. So, Ron, I want to thank you for your service to the country, and thank you for your service to the courts. And I want to thank you for coming on the program.